0: thank you for that. That just blessed me. That that makes my whole day, that song. If you're a guest today, I want to welcome you and just tell you how excited I am that you're here on this day because we've got some gourmet hamburgers that are being cooked for you down there. Or if you hadn't made a commitment yet, you could change that to a cheeseburger. So we want you to stay and have lunch with us, and the event that um, Kevin mentioned a moment ago, the, uh, the beach bash thing that we do uh, just you know, five minutes from here down Alcoa, that is so much fun. It's just such a great evening, and it's a great, awesome opportunity and place and time to bring a guest. So if you've got a friend and you've been trying to figure out... And um, I've been one of those friends, so if you are one of those people and you think, so this is where they get stuff like that started, yeah, you're kind of a target. I was a target. But um, it's it, it, there's nothing manipulative about it. Just bring a friend with you. You know, if you're looking for one of those, where's a good entry? Where's a place I can bring somebody that's maybe not as intimidating? And I had friends to do that with me. They knew I had kind of a little bit of an attitude about Christians, and about church, and had some stereotypes in my head that I believed. So they took me to a hayride, then they took me to this kind of retreat thing, and then this, and then to church. You know, it's kind of they kind of ramped up. Not everybody needs that, but that's a great event. Just just a kind of little commercial there for you, because I don't want you to miss out on that. We uh, live like a lot of people in East Tennessee uh, in a home that's not. Flat. You know the the land is not flat. In fact, there's two hills sort of come together, and we're on one of those. And what we did is where they converge. Is that the the where they come together? uh, It kind of forms this little stream. It's a drainage that there's a pond in our subdivision, and it drains under the streets. You know, there's a pipe they've done where it goes into that pond. You got that? So what we've done, my neighbor mostly, is just filled that stream with these huge river rocks and made it look a little nicer than just a marshy mess all the time. And now it looks kind of cool. It's a fake stream, you know, with these, looks like you're in East Tennessee. Well, my grandson, who's two and a half, just recently discovered those, those rocks, and he likes to climb up on them. Now, some are like this big, but some are, you know, pretty huge for him. You know, they, they come up to here on him. Well, he he gets up on those and he and he jumps off. But the other night, first time he, he discovered these, he starts off getting on these small rocks and he gets on those. And you can see as he gets more courage, you know, and I think he gets up on, and so he he gets up on this really big rock. It's about this high, and it takes him a little while, and he climbs up on it and he balances. And then he looks over at me and he goes, big rock, big rock, <laughs> like this little hulk. And I thought, that is so cool. You just, you know, and uh, it's just like, you've got testosterone. You're like a little guy, you know. And, and he was just like, look at me. I'm the king of the world. I just thought it was so cool. And, you know, just just like that. And when we sang that song a moment ago, when Tiffany sang, uh about the idea of God, you are our deliverer, you are our rock. You know, that's one of three titles in the Old Testament that people would use to address God when they wanted to praise or mention or reaffirm the redemptive quality about our relationship and how God is a redeemer. And they would use, they would call him rock. Rock. He's a rock. And I thought about that. And I thought about him the other night in that confidence. Big rock. And I just I wanted to just just say, Lord, you are a big rock, you know, and you save us in such a big way. Today, we're beginning a brand new series called Something More. It's about creating. A day to day culture of increase so that you can experience the fullness of a grace filled, growth centered life. Folks, we're called to live and we've been promised in Christ a something more life. And when you read the Gospels, you never see, you never hear Jesus saying, you know, I have come to help you get by. I've come and we're going to get through this barely together. We're going to, you know, we're going to scrape. I'm going to give you just enough to get through your life. Never hear him saying that. Instead, he promises his followers an abundance of everything so that we would be Overflowing with joy beyond our circumstances. That we would have love beyond reason. That we would have peace that would pass understanding we wouldn't get. Why am I so peaceful right now and I shouldn't be? He promises that you're not going to have just surface level relationships and everybody's acquaintances. He says, no, I want to give you depth. And I want to give you a connection, a personal connection to brothers and sisters and like-minded friends everywhere you go. He said, that's what I've come to do. And even though life is hard and Jesus never pulled any punches about that, he never created any false expectations. Or tried to trick us or to pretend like, no, nah, it's not going to be so bad. Christians get a special deal, and you're exempt from a lot of the tough things or hard things. No, he didn't say that. He said, what I will give you, though, is within that, an experience of abundance that really matters in the days of your life. You'll have a different life and a different quality of life. That's why Jesus said this in uh, John chapter 10 verse 10, which is a familiar scripture for a lot of you who maybe have been coming to church or you're you're in Christ. He says this. He said, "I have come that they may have life, and have it in abundance." He said, I didn't come just to give you a little bit of life and you know put you on that support system. You know where it's if you've ever been you know in a hospital room where somebody's on one of the machine and you think, man, that's just keeping them going. I think sometimes we think that's the deal about faith or that you feel that way right i mean even as followers of jesus there's times we feel like i'm putting one foot in front of the other one step in front of the other and that's all i got that's all i got jesus said you know what i, I it's not just for that there's something more it's what i need it's what we all need and every day this is how this series kind of came about. Um, Every day I encounter people. I'm like a professional Christian. So I'm, around, I'm around a lot of Christians, so I try to push myself into circumstances or environments where I'm not around. If you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, I'd like to get to know you. I haven't always been. Um, but if we're not careful, those of us who are, we end up living in a bubble and we're just all around each other all the time. And that's our total experience. So, the thing with me is, is I am around other Christians uh, quite a bit, and the thing I've noticed is that their lifestyle could be more accurately described as something less. Me too. They're not overflowing with love, or joy, or peace, or purpose. I see folks, good people, but they're overflowing, if it's anything, with fear, and frustration, and disappointment, and conflict. That is not the life that you expected, it's not the life that God wants you to live, but it is the life that you will experience. In this culture, if you create that for yourself, a culture that's not based on grace or faith or the Word of God, but on a culture that becomes based on your circumstances... And how you respond to that. All the things that happened to you that you didn't want to happen. Things you wish and, and didn't, didn't come about. And 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 we get locked into that and what we feel about that. And what we think everybody's thinking or saying about us. And we become very sensitive to that, particularly in our society. I've been some places where they just really don't care that much, you know, about what other people think. they got other issues. But we're keenly aware of it, aren't we? And a lot of our lifestyle, come on, admit this, a lot of our lifestyle, the things we do and say and don't do, is because of approval, the approval from one another that we need so desperately sometimes. So this series is about how we can create a something more, something more mindset, and begin to see a culture of grace develop in our daily life. This is for all of us. There's this psalm that I, I really love. And uh, it, it's one you're probably familiar with that, that you, you may have read. Uh, it's always been one of my favorites. And w- one morning I was reading through this psalm and just looking at the words, prob- I think it's written by King David, Uh, And I realized I had absolutely missed the point of what this psalm is about. And I've been trying in the last year or so to read Scripture in the way that it was intended to be read, in the context, because I've I've grown up as a part of that generation of Christians where we take verses and we put them on T-shirts and bumper stickers and coffee mugs and umbrellas and and plaques you know that are everywhere and that's okay i think that's really cool to have scripture all over the place but sometimes we take that out of context and we make it mean whatever you know we kind of fit it to the to what it should mean i'm trying to think of something and if you're wearing a shirt right now in scripture and you go oh great he's gonna like jesus juke me about my shirt i don't mean to do that but um okay i was in a i was in a race it's like a it's like an offhanded way to mention, yeah, I was in a race, in this big race. I won it, like got a trophy. Not exactly. I don't think I remember the trophy, but uh, there was a guy there who had a shirt and says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I said something about, hey, that's like, what a great verse. He goes, yeah, I can run this race. I can do that. I think, I don't think that's what that means. That Because you're in Christ, you're going to win this. You know, that's, you get what I'm saying? Uh, the most famous one, Okay. I'm gonna hurt you. You're gonna mess with you because this was probably like your wedding day verse, and you're gonna go. Now you're liberal. Um, okay, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I know the plans I have for you. God was talking to Israel, not you. Okay, I'm sorry. Now you're mad for the rest of the day. I'm just kind of kidding. All right, but w- what I want to do is to be accurate with this and let you know it is for you. Scripture is for you, and and, and let's let's get. And this is one. Boy, I think we've overlooked, and I read it wrong, but it's even better, and it's even deeper and stronger, more meaningful to me in the way that it was written. So it's Psalm number 42, and even this morning, I went on a walk, and if you don't have the version app on your phone or your tablet, that is so great. And we're, do, we're reading scripture together as a church this year, and most of mine's been through Version. And you can listen. I don't think that's cheating, all right? As long as it gets in your brain, I don't care if somebody reads that loud or you read it or is that like all the options? I guess there's not enough. You can just eat your Bible and say, oh, I got it in me. That doesn't count. But um, just listen to this over and over. And I think, Lord, it's just so beautiful, but it's so real, so real. So let's just begin. And here's how it starts. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O oh God. Isn't that beautiful? Now, when I would read this verse, I would imagine this beautiful pastoral scene with this sweet and innocent Bambi dough, you know, this drinking to her heart's content from this, gently flowing brook. Can you see it? Like a Kincaid painting, you know, maybe with birds chirping, blue birds chirping in the trees, and, you know, a little rabbit bouncing by, and it's just beautiful like an old Disney cartoon. That's the way I picture this in my imagination. But as it turns out, That's not really the image portrayed in this psalm. The psalmist didn't write these words when he was, you know, metaphorically speaking, sipping from a quiet stream. Ah, you know, and it was just the mute, the violins. And it wasn't like that. He wrote these words at a time when a stream was nowhere to be found. And this deer... Wandering around, dehydrated, lost in the desert, in the plains, surrounded by danger, on the verge of dying. And with his raspy voice, the writer cries out to God and says, Oh God, I'm like that deer. I'm lost and I'm alone." scared and I'm desperate with thirst. And if some of you were honest in the way that you prayed today, that would be more like the way you would sound in some of the things we do save. This psalm is ultimately about the deer sipping from a stream, but it begins in the desert. And that's where the psalmist was, so to speak, when he wrote this. Now, if you're thirsty and you want to turn your something less life into a something more life, then today's message is for you. You've come to the right church today. Today, we're going to begin to journey through, and we're going to use this psalm and discover how we can experience a thirst quenching soul satisfying the real genuine presence of god and i can tell you from personal experience of a guy who tried walking without god completely and doing it with my you know just all my own energy and emotional resources and all of that and you know cheering myself on i uh, i've tried it with him i've tried it almost with him with like religion and church and all the things everybody tells you to do, which is almost the right place, but not quite. And you keep coming up empty, and you think, I'm so thirsty. And I've done this in him. Folks, it is absolutely, trust me, you don't have to, if I've already done this for you, you don't have to go that way, all right? In him is the way. So here's the first idea, first talking point that, uh, I want you to get nailed down. This something more life begins with a simple acknowledgement that things aren't what they could be or should be in your life. So I'm giving you the freedom to knock it off. You know, stop playing the game. Stop Saying the same old same old, and just settling for less, and living like you're living, feeling like you're feeling, and just keeping it above the surface. You know, physical thirst is the body's way of telling you something's lacking. You're not getting what you need, and and that something is water. And <laughs> in order to be healthy, you got to stay hydrated. Physical thirst. Is a signal. It's like a warning light. You know, my oil light came on a week or so ago on, on the dash of my car, and it tells. I have a fancy car that says it's one. You need one liter. I thought, what's a liter? How much is a liter? I'm an old school quartz kind of guy, you know. And I thought, okay, uh, well, you know, I need to put oil in this, in this. car. It tells me that I need to do that. I don't have to go out and check the dipstick or anything. You know what? God is built into your soul and in, into your heart and your mind an indicator that tells you you're thirsty. You're thirsty in a spiritual way and it works just like that. I mean you think well that's kind of a mechanical thing but your body's built that way and and you know when you're thirsty and you know when you're starting to get dehydrated. When I was a kid and uh, I played on the Range Hills Rangers, you probably heard of us. We were pretty much almost national championships and we were playing in a tournament, and that part's not true, okay? We were just a neighborhood ball team, but uh, just Little League. And, and I played shortstop, and we had a tournament, and it was like doubleheader, you know? And so it's in a day like this, this time of year. And I'm out there, and I can remember this. I'm out there. I'm like 10 or 11 years old. And I began to feel a little woozy and kind of dizzy. And I'm looking, you know, and and things are like, and I hadn't started taking drugs yet. So it wasn't about that at this point in my life. That would be a couple of years later. Uh, But I've been doing like that, and all of a sudden I just go, and I just fall out. I just pass out. And you don't want to do that in front of your friends as an 11 year old boy, right? Would you' fainted. <laughs> I mean they're, they're a merciless neighborhood. You know, but I just got dehydrated. Simple. And maybe you've had something like that happen to you working or running, or you know you, and, and people tell you working out, you've got to stay hydrated. And we kind of get that physically. We understand uh, what happens. But I think a lot of folks don't understand that that works spiritually as well. Spiritual thirst serves the same purpose. It tells you something's missing. Something's missing. Something's depleted in your life. And that's why you feel thirsty. You know, a few weeks ago, um, Joe called and he said, you know what, I'm not coming into the office today. I'm just going to go up in the mountains with my Bible and a notepad. And I'm just going to spend the whole day up there alone with the Lord. Because I'm thirsty for the Lord. I need to hear from the Lord. I said, don't come into this office and don't go on campus. You go away you get by yourself. That's the right thing to do. If your life is filled with the kind of things that most people think that everybody would want, uh, and I'm talking about, you know, the ordinary stuff, the material things, the the experiences, you know, I've been there, and, oh, yeah, we did that, and, and, and we begin to put a lot into that, and that's primarily, you know, what your life's been about. And you're still not satisfied, and you walk away, and you go, well, that was a lot of fun. But when the buzz is over, or I bought this, and after a while it ends up in a drawer or on a shelf or in your garage, and you think, yeah, I, forgot. I remember saving up for that. I remember when I had to have that, and that was like the coolest thing. And now I, I really don't care that much about it anymore. I'm going to put it on Craigslist you're disappointed you know what that's a cycle and it's going to continue to happen and you think you're going to get to a place where you're you know 15 19 30 years old and you figure out hey this ain't working (laughs) i can't keep buying stuff or going places and think that's going to do it for me but we don't and i know people who are 60 70 80 and they're still you know trying to find something in that i want you to know that's a sign of spiritual thirst And if you deny your physical thirst long enough, you're going to become parched and thirsty and then dehydrated. And you're going to find all kind of physical symptoms. I don't know what you do. You know, I passed out. You're going to get a cramp. You're going to get, I mean, all these things are going to happen. And if you deny it long enough, you know, really bad things happen. You can do damage. Folks, the same thing. If you deny your spiritual thirst long enough, your soul will get parched. And it'll be evident in the way you live your life. The sad thing is is that even though your body won't let you ignore your physical thirst forever, many people will live their entire lives without ever even acknowledging their spiritual thirst. They just resign themselves to something less lifestyle we settle for an emotional and spiritual mediocrity and we say to ourselves you know i i think this is as good as it's going to get all the flowery language that jesus used in this abundant life i think that was just sort of that was over the top but this is the real life this is a nitty-gritty and this is as good as it's going to get that's not true. And if the enemy can keep you believing that, you'll always live a something less life. And my prayer has been this weekend that even when I get to this part of the message and I start saying these things, that there would be something in you that maybe would be awakened or nudged forward, and you'd think, no, I don't want to live this life. And yes, I am thirsty. And that God would begin to give you the grace to start feeling that thirst in a spiritual way, in the same way that you do when you're physically thirsty. I was trying to think of a way to illustrate that. I came up with a way, and it's not real polite, but have you ever been out shopping or hiking or somewhere, and you've you got to use a bathroom and, or you're driving on a car trip, and your dad says, We're not stopping. You know, that's what we do. We don't stop. We we lock in. And we, we, there's a rest area in 80 miles. We'll pull over there for one minute, you know, and you start thinking. And so what do you start thinking about? And you try to think about 100. You know, I don't have to go to the bathroom. It's not that bad. I don't have to go that bad. And after a minute, your thoughts come back. Yeah, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. And you start walking around. And maybe if you're out somewhere, you ask somebody. I was at Lakeshore Park. One day and I'm, i was trying to, to get to a certain distance. And I was about halfway through it and the thought came to me. This is so vulgar, isn't it? I'm sorry if you're proper and you think, oh, that church is just rude. But I thought, I gotta go to the bathroom. And immediately I thought, No, don't think that, don't think that. No, you don't, no, you don't, you don't have to go to the bathroom. You know, just keep going. And I kept going and a minute the thought came to me, hey, Dan, you gotta go? No, I don't, I don't have to go. I thought, where do people go here? Is there anywhere here? And I thought, well, I've walked around here, and I've walked around. I thought, there's no, there's nowhere. And, and I figured out there is a place. There's, a, if you're ever there, you go down the hill, like where they do the farmers market, and there's those buildings, and there's a place. And I'm trying to be real cool about it, but at this point, I'm, I'm running. You know, I'm like, it, my, because my mind has. Uh, that's the worst illustration. Now I'm wishing I hadn't gone there because you're so focused on that. Let me just ask you: Does anybody right now do you need to go to the bathroom? If you get up and walk out, we're all going to look at you, and we're going to no. know. Uh, isn't that embarrassing? You know, but some t- you know what I'm talking about. What I pray is that God would so awaken your spiritual thirst that you'd say, "I'm not going to settle for less. I got to go to the Lord." Lord, i got to go. I can't live like this. I don't want to live like this. You didn't make me to live like this, and you promised something different, and I'm not going to go for this any, anymore. Don't resign yourself. The Word of God tells us it doesn't have to be that way. There's something more. Don't ignore it. Don't overlook it. Acknowledge your thirst and allow yourself to entertain the idea this thirst can be quenched. David is saying that the panting deer will ultimately find its way to water and its thirst will be satisfied. And he's saying, this is what I need more than anything else. In verse 2, he says, I thirst for God, the living God. That's what it is. When can I come and appear before the Lord? Now this brings me to the next idea that I want to share with you. If you really want to experience a something more life, make it your habit to pour out your heart to God. He says in verse 3, I remember this as I pour out my heart to my God. Now, a lot of people are afraid to do this, to get really honest with the Lord. Instead, we play it safe. And you fill your prayers with polite or memorized religious phrases and cliches and things you've heard um, other people say, and you repeat those in the same way, and they're meaningless. Listen, God already knows what's going on in your life. He even already knows what's going on in your heart. And you can lie to others. You can even lie to yourself. You can even make yourself believe what you're saying. But you cannot lie to God. If you pretend in your prayers that everything's okay when you know it's not, don't think you're pulling one over on God. Don't think that he's that easily fooled. For some reason, that doesn't stop us from trying, does it? I wanna say something I hope just gives you liberty, and just sets you free. Prayer time is not a performance. It's not a job interview There's no pressure there to put your best foot forward. I'm a pastor, and one of the things we get called on to do sometimes is to pray publicly. And I get that. I can remember the first time somebody called on me to prayer, and I thought, "Ah," in front of people, out loud? And all I need to do, you know, I thought, well, do I imitate? all thou most holy and righteous God in heaven and Father of, you know, and just say stuff. Or do I just talk? And at that time, I didn't know just to talk. And later I was embarrassed. And I told a friend that was in this little circle of people praying, I said, I'm really embarrassed because I don't know how to pray. He goes, man, I like the way you pray because you didn't say all that stuff. And I go, yeah, I want to learn all those things. He goes, no, 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 please don't learn all those things. But sometimes I'm at maybe a funeral or a wedding or a ball game. They've called on me to do the invocation or a banquet or a dinner. And I've noticed something about my prayers. They're not the same as I pray when I'm walking <laughs> or when I'm by myself. They change. And they get pretty <laughs> and they get they get eloquent. And they're they're not these, oh, you know, kind of prayers. Listen, just pray. The time you spend in prayer is a time When you're so free, and it's such a privilege, and you can be gut level, no holds barred, honest with the one who already knows everything about you. C.S. Lewis in his book on prayer said this, we must lay before him, I wish I could do it in a British accent, we must lay before him, what is in us, not what ought to be in us. So when you're frustrated and discouraged and disillusioned and discontent, it's okay. You can tell God about it. Many are surprised. I was surprised when I read some of these prayers in the Bible, like Job. You ever read Job's prayers or David's or any these Psalms? And, you, and you're struck by how honest and how raw it is. And you can see in these Psalms over and over and over, especially David, you know, he just doesn't hold anything back. He just tells God about his feelings and his fears. And even this text in verse 6, he said, I am deeply depressed. Some of you need to go home and say, God, I'm depressed. I'm scared. I'm anxious. I'm angry verse 9, he says, why have you forgotten me? Did I say that? <laughs> why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of my enemy's oppression? They're the bad guy. I'm the good guy. Why am I the sad one? Why am I the victimized? Why, Lord, I don't get it. You ever thought that? Of course you thought that. And it's at this point of gut-level honesty that God is able to do some of his finest work in your life. Some of his best things begin to happen. And let me make something clear. When when I'm frustrated with God, (laughs) I know deep in my heart who's right and who's wrong (laughs) uh, in the situation. And I know who needs to change and who doesn't need to change. Um, but I also know that until I get honest with what it is that's in my heart and what's going on in my life, that things are never going to change, and I'm never going to change. That's where it starts, and that's what happens in those moments of honesty and of vulnerability. You're going to begin to recognize what a bundle of contradictions you really are, and you're going to begin just to put that out there with the Lord. And you're going to find yourself leaning into faith one minute and doubt the next minute and you can just say that and God, I'm trusting you with my future, but yet I'm going to complain about this and something starts. One other thing I want to share with you because as you pour out that before the Lord and as as you as you just say those things this is the time to remember the faithfulness of God. It's good to be brutally honest and open up in your prayers and express everything in your heart, but that's not where it should end. It doesn't stop there. You also need to take some time to reflect on all that God has done for you. Listen to what the psalmist says in verse 4. I remember this as I pour out my heart how I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Because I was a worship leader. I was leading everybody in worship. And I still remember the tears rolling down my face and how oh, just how full of you I was. I remember that. In verse 6, he says, I'm deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon and from Mount Miser. Verse 7, deep calls to deep and the roar of your waterfalls All your breakers and billows have swept over me. Now, that's a curious phrase. I like deep calls unto deep. You know, we've even got a worship song that we do about that. What that really means is deep is a way of saying the sea or the ocean or the water. You know, we say I'm going out on the deep, you know, into the deep or on the deep blue sea. And deep calls to deep means like one wave is looking over its shoulder, so to speak, um, and saying, come on, follow me. And then the next wave comes, and then the next wave comes. When Kathy and I were first married, we went with her parents to Indian Harbor Beach in Florida. And I think she and her dad were out in the water, and they're like digging with their toes, uh, getting sand dollars. And I think that's what, I don't know what they were doing, but they were out playing in the water. Anyway, the the, the the water got really bad, and the wave, she couldn't see him. She's kind of like standing on the back, and it would just knock her over. And I, being a loving, strong, you know, husband who cherishes his wife, just thought it was the funniest thing. You know? And I was just sitting up on the, the thing, and, I, and, I, and I, I, I told my mother, watch it, look at, look, at, look at this, look at this. So Kathy gets up, And by this time she's got you know her swimsuit's like full of seashells and sand, and she's kind of like that. And she gets up, and just as she gets her footing, another wave just knocks her down. And I rush to laugh again, and you know, and it's just, and she's just getting hammered, you know, again and again and again, one wave after the other. And finally, she's able to get up on the shore and like, why didn't you help me? I think, what would I've done, you know? Exactly, new husbands, beware, pay attention, get you know, get this, rush out there anyway. And it's, don't laugh, don't laugh. Uh, That's what this verse means. And some of you know that because you've had trouble like that, haven't you? And wave after wave, deep calls to deep, doesn't mean just like one thing. Wouldn't that be good if life just one thing happened? And then a little while later, another little thing happened. But it doesn't work like that, does it? It's like wave after wave. After wave, and it's just crashing. That's what this is talking about, and that's what he says as I reflect on this. In verse 8, he says, the Lord will send his faithful love by day, and his song will be with me in the night. I think to take those mental journeys back to the best days of your life and the times when you could see God works, it kind of helps put the problems of today in perspective because we forget how God came through for us. He's not a one-and-done time kind of God. He he blesses us one day and then not the next day. That's not the way he works. We need to remember that if God did it once, he can do it again. You've already been through some stuff, right? You've already had your heart broken, You've walked some hard ground. Listen, he didn't leave you when that was over. He's still there. And whatever it is you face now, this next wave, he is with you now just like he was then. And you got through that and God gave you victory. He's going to do it again. He's going to do it again. And just to hear that sentence maybe why you're in this room today. Because we're tempted to think, well, the good times are over, I had my chance, or I blew it, and God helped me out once or maybe twice, but he's not going to do it anymore. No, he's going to do it for the rest of your life. So that's not true. So so if you're thirsty today, it doesn't mean God's given up on you. Uh, And you don't recall those things just to be nostalgic. You need to remember the past in order to ignite your faith so you know and you remember he can do it in the future. Now, there are two ways to do that. You can look at all these characters, all these people who live this in Scripture. You can look at other Christians you know and see how they, you know, God just came through again and again and again and worked in all these people's lives. And the other way is that you can look at your own life, reflect on your own personal history and think, wow, I didn't think I'd make it through that. And I, I didn't think I'd ever get past that, but I did, and the Lord, and the Lord did that. How many times has he come through for you? How many times has he answered your prayer? How many times has he met your need when you didn't see any way out or any resource? But he did. So think about those things in his faithfulness in the past. And tell yourself what you need, you know you you need to hear. Because I have a tendency to talk negative. Don't do that. Tell yourself, verse 10, he says, my adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones. It just feels like your bones are being crushed. He said, well, all day they say to me, where's your God? Where's God? I thought you were a Christian. And there's going to be a lot of those voices in your life, in your world. You'll never make it. God's forgotten about you. Why don't you just give up? You've always been like that. Listen, you've got a choice. You can listen to what they're saying, what they're telling you, or you can tell yourself what you need to hear. David did this all the time. He was real discouraged once, and in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, he says, But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. There will be times when your thirst is at a peak and there's nobody around you that seems to have any interest in encouraging you or helping you or lifting you up. That's when it's up to you to encourage yourself (laughs) to find your strength in the Lord. And that's what we see in Psalm 42. David gives himself some encouragement. Listen to verse five. Why am I so depressed? Why is this turmoil within me? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my savior and my God. Verse eight, the Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. In Psalm 103, he says, My soul, praise the Lord, and all that is within me, praise His holy name. It's like he, I listened to Dr. Rogers, Adrian Rogers, preach a sermon on this, and he said, sometimes you need to turn around, and you need to take your soul by the scruff of the neck and pull it up to you and go, My soul, <laughs> praise God. You know, don't, let, don't be led around by your emotions and your feelings and all those things. There's times I have to pull myself together and say, Hey, Dan... This is a temporary situation. You've been through worse. God's going to get you through. He's done it before. You can always count on him. He's going to do it again. Get your head straight. Get your heart in the right place. Put your eyes back on Jesus where they belong and stop staring at this situation because it's not going to last forever. But his endurance and his faithfulness and his love will last forever. I know what it's like. And I know you know what it's like when there are times when it feels like nobody's speaking the Word of God into your life, or nobody, you just got to speak it to yourself. You got to speak it to yourself. When you're in a dry and weary land where there seems to be no water, you got to speak truth to yourself. God is God, and He's going to see you through. say that that doubts come right after it and some of you just don't have the grace or the heart to believe it and think Dan you have no idea what I'm going through I don't but I know this God is God and he is good and he will see you through how do we get there Verse 11, put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. I looked up that little word hope, and I really like it a lot, because I think sometimes we get the idea that hope means, I hope it happens. I hope I win the lottery. I hope I get a big inheritance. You don't know. That's not what this word means. This word is the same as when you say, hmm, I hope the sun comes up tomorrow. You know what? It's going to come up. We just hadn't seen it happen yet. And in those dark, dry, hard places, and when it's so difficult in that night, and you think, I hope the sun comes up, it's coming up. It's going to come up. Going to come up. That's what this hope means. Don't give up your hope in the Lord. Now, let's sing together, and I want you to stand with me, please. And if you're going through a difficult time, uh, or even if you're not, I'm going to pray that God would make you thirsty right now, that you would realize your thirst, and that you would turn that to the Lord. And all those all those things we just talked about, you would find places of application to make it real for you. Don't just tuck this away in your Bible or wherever and let's go eat. Let God use this to begin putting you on a journey for a something more life. Lord Jesus, by your grace, would you begin doing that right now?